Welcome to Quantitative Health with your host, Paul Kilgore. Well, hello everyone. This is Dr. Paul Kilgore and welcome back to Quantitative Health. I'm so glad to be here with you today because I want to talk about a very important topic that we encounter each summer and it's happening more commonly across the world and I really want to talk about what we can do about it. And that topic is heat stroke, heat stroke and all the other manifestations that lead up to heat stroke a very important health condition that we need to be aware of to understand how we can address it, prevent it, and actually respond to it if we see it. Okay, so let's get right into it. What I wanted to make sure that you understand is that when we start to feel hot and when the temperature outside is hot, we actually can have a number of conditions that occur before we even get to the most serious condition, which is heat stroke. Okay, so one thing that can happen when we start to feel hot and when the temperature outside is elevated is actually we start to swell up. And that happens particularly in our lower limbs around our ankles. We call that heat edema. And this generally occurs when people are not conditioned or acclimatized to working in hot conditions. So they're working hard and they're exposed to high temperatures in the air. And we actually see swelling of the ankles. This can actually um, be recovered from, and we see recovery occurring a day or two after people are exposed to a cooler environment. Okay, the next thing that can happen is rashes. We call this heat rashes, and these are tiny red spots on the skin that can cause a prickling sensation during heat exposure. And you may have heard the term prickly heat. That is actually a heat rash, and these spots occur as a result of inflammation around the sweat gland ducts that become plugged up with oils and other material. So that's heat rash, prickly rash. Okay, the next one is heat cramps. Now, heat cramps are quite painful. They're sharp pains that can occur in muscles, and these occur um, along with other heat stress conditions, and I'll talk about those. Now, the cause of heat cramps is often and typically a salt imbalance resulting from our failure, actually, to replace the salt that we lose through sweating. And even when we're at rest in non-hot conditions, we're actually losing salt and water from our skin. We call that insensible losses in the medical jargon. But when we're really, really hot, we're losing a lot more salt and water. And that loss of salt in particular, and that imbalance in our bodies due to the loss of salt, can actually lead to cramps in the muscles. And often, we see cramps occurring when people will consume large amounts of water, alone without replacing the salt or electrolytes that we need to have in our bodies. So when I hear that term electrolytes or when you hear it, that's also a signal to think about salt. So salt and electrolytes are really the same thing. Now, when we talk about replacing salt and electrolytes, we want to do that gradually. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. First, though, I want to talk about the next level of heat illness. That's heat exhaustion. Heat exhaustion. Heat exhaustion is caused by a loss of body water and salt through excessive sweating. So we're really, really hot. Our body is trying to compensate and cool the interior core as well as our skin, and that leads to excessive sweating. Now, the signs and symptoms of heat exhaustion are the following. Number one, heavy sweating. We're going to feel weak. We may feel dizzy. We actually may see uh, visual disturbances. That means we may see double vision, for example. We will have intense thirst. We can feel nauseated, uh, like we're going to vomit. 
We can get a headache, which can be really pounding. We can then also start vomiting along with the nausea. We can get diarrhea, believe it or not. We can get muscle cramps, as we talked about in heat cramps. We can also start to feel breathless, like short of breath where we can't get enough air. We also may even feel chest palpitations. We may feel our heart kind of jumping out of our chest. We also may actually feel tingling and numbness of the hands and feet. And interestingly, we can get recovery from heat exhaustion after resting in a cool area. And that's important because at the same time, we should be consuming a cool drink, particularly water, clear juice, or a sports drink of some type. The reason the sports drinks are helpful is that they contain those electrolytes that we talked about earlier, helping you to replace the salt that you lose through sweating. Very, very important. Okay, now the next level of heat illness that I want to talk about is something called heat syncope. Okay, this is really dizziness and fainting caused by the heat. And it's really caused by temporarily having insufficient blood flow to our brains while we stand up. And that can happen because we lose volume through sweating. And when we don't have volume of water mixed in with our blood, we actually have reduced blood flow. And that leads to lightheadedness, dizziness, and a, um, a lack of blood flow to our brain. And that can cause us to faint or pass out. Now, that often typically occurs in people that are not acclimatized to high levels of heat. Okay, And so it's also indirectly caused by a loss of body fluid through sweating. And that's important because when we lose body fluid, it lowers our blood pressure and our blood tends to pool down in our legs and lower limbs because we're standing up or um, moving from a sitting or lying down position rapidly to standing up. Now, keys to recovering from this are resting in a cool area, slow uh, consumption of fluids along with the electrolytes, and making sure that we use any other ways to stay cool in the environment and avoid getting in a hot, for example, direct sunlight environment. Now, we're going to talk the next step, next highest level of heat illness we call heat stroke. This is the most serious type of heat illness. And it's important because our body kind of loses control of our mechanisms for heat control and reducing body temperature. And so when we see signs of heat stroke, this includes very high body temperature, body temperature much above the normal 38 degrees or so, 37.5 degrees centigrade. When we start to see heat stroke, we get body temperatures above 41 degrees centigrade, extremely hot. And um, we also can lose consciousness. So when we get to that point with heat stroke, the body's temperature and ability for the brain to function normally stops. And when that happens, we can pass out and lose consciousness. Now, what's interesting is that sweating is not a good sign of heat stress um, because there's really two, two types of uh, heat stroke. One is cl the classical type. The classical type is where we actually see little or no sweating. So if someone is not sweating and they're losing consciousness and they're having other signs and symptoms that we talked about, that can be a very, very dangerous situation. Now, the other type of heat stroke is exertional, where the body temperature rises because of strenuous exercise or work, and sweating is usually present. So we're concerned about heat stroke because that's the most dangerous manifestation. Okay, 
When we talk about heat stroke, we're really talking about a situation where we see hot, dry skin, or on the other hand, we can see profuse sweating. The person, as you're talking to them, appears to be confused. They may not know what day it is. They may not know who you are. They may not know where they are. They can lose consciousness. They can try to arouse them and they don't arouse. They can actually have seizures uh, that look like epilepsy. And they also will have a very, very high body temperature that we can measure orally or rectally. Now, when you see someone in that environment, don't stop. Call 911 immediately. Heat stroke is a medical emergency. Stay with the person until help arrives. Try to move the individual to a cooler or shaded location if you can and remove as many clothes as possible, including shoes and socks, to try to cool the body as much as possible. Now, if you're in an environment where you can access water, try to wet the person's skin and clothing with cool water like a cool towel. Apply cold, wet cloths or ice to the head, face, neck, armpits, and groin where the blood is flowing, and you can actually cool the interior core quicker by cooling the blood that passes next to that cool ice or cool washcloth. Don't try to force the person to drink liquids at that point because they may not be able to, number one. They may not be alert, number two. And if you're forcing it, they could actually choke and that can cause further breathing problems. Okay? Now, one of the things that we also want to talk about when we think about those that are at risk for severe disease with heat exposure are individuals that we know are going to be in danger. So that includes the elderly, particularly people people over the age of 80, people living alone, especially in an urban environment with no air conditioning. Okay. The other individuals that we also worry about with heat uh, conditions or outside temperatures that are very high are individuals that have had a heart attack in the past. That's a myocardial infarction. Or individuals that have other cardiovascular diseases like congestive heart failure, which we'll talk about more in the future. Individuals that have chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. This is a lung condition that can cause difficulty breathing. Other uh, cardiac conditions, for example, an arrhythmia, for example, AFib or atrial fibrillation. Or individuals who have um, damage to their kidneys, and they may have chronic kidney disease, renal disease that requires either treatment through hemodialysis or maybe not quite requiring treatment, but they still could be at risk for electrolyte disturbances, that is, disturbances in the salt balance in their bodies. Okay? Now, one of the things that happens with chronic heat exhaustion or heat exposure is people can have sleep disturbances. It can cause long-term sleep disturbances in individuals as long as the heat wave is going on. And this can lead to susceptibility to minor injuries and sicknesses um, due to a lack of sleep, actually. Now, heat exposure has also been associated with temporary infertility, both uh, in men and women. And the effects can be more pronounced in men, actually. So we see sperm density, motility, that's movement of the sperm, and percentage of normally shaped sperm can actually decrease when the temperature of the groin is increased above normal temperature. So that can happen um, in workers who are outside, for example, in prolonged uh, heat exposure. Now, it's very important also to note one more group that can be at risk of heat intolerance, heat illness in a heat wave or other prolonged heat uh, disturbance. And those are individuals with mental illness or mental health issues, particularly people that are taking drugs that we call neuroleptics or anticholinergics. And one of the reasons this is important to know about is that individuals 
with the with mental conditions, for example, schizophrenia and other health conditions, are taking drugs that really make the body's job in controlling temperature and regulating temperature much more difficult. In other words, people on these drugs have a much harder time controlling their body temperature and making sure that they have what we call thermoregulation even in the face of high temperatures outside. So those individuals in particular can be at risk for the things that we talked about, from heat exhaustion to heat stroke. So individuals with psychiatric conditions who are on these medications need to take it easy, of course. They should be in air-conditioned environments if possible, and they should be watched closely in a prolonged heat stress situation so that they don't go into a severe syndrome that we see called heat stroke. Okay, so that's very important. Wanted to get that across to you. Now, when we talk about high-risk conditions in heat, we're really talking about heat index um, in, of like 103, 103 degrees Fahrenheit to 115 degrees Fahrenheit. In other words, it's that combination of humidity plus heat um, leading to a heat index measurement. And when we quantify heat index and in, in it's above 103 and even getting up to 110, 115, we're really, really in a dangerous situation. And for workers who are outdoors, this is particularly a problem. And so workers who are outdoors need to make sure that they are taking steps to prevent illness related to the heat. For example, heat exhaustion that we just talked about, or even heat stroke, which would be much worse. And so people need to make sure that they watch out carefully for their coworkers. They need to make sure that they're consuming appropriate amounts of water with electrolytes, okay? And they need to be making sure that they consume water not too fast, but at a regular rate. And one rate that's recommended for active workers outdoors is a small amounts of water taken often. And really, we're talking about four cups of water every hour while the heat index is in the range that I talked about, 103 to 115, okay? And workers who are in direct sunlight um, or uh, working hard, um, for example, physically working hard outside and or are working during the hottest part of the day, for example, in the afternoon, need to make sure that they are taking enough fluids. This is very, very important, Okay. Maintaining worker hydration is part of everyone's job. And so when we have hot environments, heat indexes that are high, we really need to be super careful. Okay, now that's important to know about. Heat, heat waves are occurring more often as the globe is warming. It's been observed in literally every continent. Um, there's reports from Asia, um, especially China, Pakistan. There's reports from Australia. There's a parts, uh, reports from Korea. The United States are experiencing heat waves. It's really a global phenomenon. And so we're starting to see emergency rooms fill up in the summertime during heat waves. And there it really is truly an excess number of hospitalizations. And there's also an excess number of deaths that occur. So heat situations are dangerous. They have to be watched carefully. For example, if you have a neighbor, an elderly neighbor who's next to you, and you know that they're living alone or with individuals uh, that may be mentally compromised for any reason, check on them every day, especially check on them in the afternoon to make sure that they're in a cool environment, perhaps they have a fan on, they have a cool towel or washcloth, and that they're consuming appropriate amounts of water and with electrolytes. Now, that's important because as we get older, our thirst sensation or our drive to drink um, water and thirst um, is kind of tamped down. It's less 
vigorous than uh, younger people. In other words, they have trouble sensing the need to drink water. So they need to be encouraged to drink water, especially in hot, high uh, temperature or high heat index environments. Okay? That's very, very important. Now, there are other things that you can do to avoid the heat, of course, that we're, we will talk about again going forward in the future, but things like adjusting your work activity, scheduling heavy tasks early in the day when the heat index is lower is key, setting up a shade canopy or making sure you move jobs to areas with, which are shaded so that people can avoid direct sunlight. That's a good way to stay cooler during heat high heat days. Now, also keep in mind that the pace of the job, particularly in heavy job tasks, can be slowed down. And so that may actually change the work schedule for the overall project outdoors. But it's important to keep in mind that if you can adjust the work schedule, you can actually avoid some of these heat-induced illnesses. Okay, And of course, some workers can acclimatize over time, but it's going to take a while. And that means that people cannot suddenly work as hard as they were in a cooler environment during heat waves or high heat index days, okay? That's very, very important. And when we start to get in extreme risk conditions, that means when we have heat indices or temperatures above 115 degrees, these are very, very serious conditions where work schedules need to be dramatically adjusted, um, clothing will need to be changed, um, water and electrolytes will need to be be provided and workers should be monitored and workers should be monitored to check for physical signs for example measurement of body temperatures measurement of heart rates especially in people that are exposed to prolonged duration of heat exposures now prolonged durations could mean hours or uh, over a course of several days and those people need to be watched very very carefully okay so in that environment, also setting up a buddy system can be very helpful. So you watch out for each other on the work site or in a project so you're not working alone. Same goes for if you're walking or doing any fitness outdoors. Always doing it with a buddy is much better because you can be watching out for each other and, and watching for signs and symptoms of heat exhaustion and even heat stroke. Okay, so remember heat stroke is the one that we can really need to watch out for. This can be dangerous and is truly a medical emergency. Uh, individuals in a situation with heat stroke have hot, dry skin, or can even have profuse sweating, two sides of it. They can be confused, have mental changes, mental status changes. They can lose consciousness, they can have seizures, and their core temperature can be very, very high, well above uh, our normal body temperature of 37.5, getting up to 41 degrees centigrade. Very, very hot. In that situation, call 911, call emergency. The individual needs to get to medical attention immediately. Okay, so with that, I'm going to leave, uh, leave you today, and we're going to continue this discussion about heat stroke and what more we need to do to protect ourselves going forward in any environment around the world. Okay, thank you. Take care. Take care.